when it comes to 2015, I would say the way I'm thinking of it is that every assumption should be questioned. So when it comes to risk, mind your own business. I would say that's the most important sentence that I am keeping in my own mind as it comes to making decisions in 2015. I don't want to assume the luxury or the false comfort of saying all CTAs are doing this, therefore it must be safe. Every single market position, every assumption has to be questioned. This is Nigol Kulejian, founder and CEO of Quest Partners in New York, and you are listening to my year-end review on Top Traders Unplugged. Imagine spending an hour with the world's greatest traders. Imagine learning from their experiences, their successes, and their failures. Imagine no more. Welcome to Top Traders Unplugged, the place where you can learn from the best hedge fund managers in the world so you can take your manager due diligence or investment career to the next level. Here's your host, veteran hedge fund manager, Niels Kostrup Larsen. Welcome back, Nicole, for this review of 2014, where we look at the big events from the point of view of your trading strategy. I want to explore both the ups and the downs, as well as the big takeaway from what can only be described as a great year for systematic trading strategies in general, at least. But as we know, just because you're systematic in your trading, it doesn't mean necessarily that your strategy deals with market events in a similar way. So it'll be exciting to hear about your experiences. But um, just diving right into it, tell me a little bit about 2014 from your perspective. How did the year evolve for your firm and, and for the strategies? Um, the year was, uh, I would say, uh, kind of a, a little bit better than average. Mm -hmm. Overall, we started out uh, uh, actually in March and April uh, with a drawdown as the volatility in foreign exchange contracted dramatically. So the implied vols on the euro, on the yen went from between 15 and 20 all the way down to uh, around the five, six, seven, eight levels. So okay. there, were, there was massive, massive contraction in FX. Um, and our short-term models uh, went into a drawdown. From there on, we had, I would say, it looks like a, a seven out of eight months positive. Mm -hmm. uh, to, so starting in May, July was down, but every month outside of that was uh, up on the year. Sure. So uh, did pretty well. Yeah. And it's interesting because, I mean, I know a lot of uh, strategies in this space certainly saw a little bit of trouble, um, but actually more in January where you actually did well. Uh, yes, it's, uh, uh, you know, what's, uh, we've been waiting for uh, this type of moves for a few years, although we've done well in the last five years, it's mainly been due to the alpha that we generate relative to the, CTA, relative to the CTAs. Okay. In 2014, so I would say the, the CTA beta, the, the classical strategies came back mm -hmm. uh, and, and had a, you know, very good year, I would say two or three times their average returns. Uh, so we participated in that, although we were not able to provide, uh, you know, as much alpha as we would have wanted to, uh, despite our, you know, 16% return on the year. Yeah, sure. When you look at the program uh, as a whole, where did you see the biggest contributions, both in terms of the, or to the positive, but also uh, on the negative side during the year? 
Yeah, on the positive side, in terms of sectors, I would say fixed income uh, was the highest contributor, uh, and so were energies. So we we're up around uh, 10% on the fixed income and about uh, 9% on energies. Okay. On the negative side, uh, FX was difficult. So I would say, in particular, uh, in March and April when the vaults compressed. Um, you know, then uh, you know. Obviously, they came back as the the trend in the euro and the trend in the yen uh, were pretty strong. Mm -hmm. But I would say they were uh, very long term, very clean trends without the type of volatility where our th our systems really thrive. Mm. So. Uh, yes, sector-wise, uh, that's how it goes. Uh, now, from a system perspective, I would say our most long-term models were, were the ones that did the best. Mm -hmm. um, and so long-term and intermediate-term trend following where the short-term uh, relatively didn't do well because of the, the, you know, I would say still low volatility overall in the market. And when you say long-term, Nicole, I know overall your program doesn't have a long you know, holding period. So, so maybe you should just qualify that for us. When you say long term, what do you really mean? So, our average days per trade is uh, seven to eight days for the program overall. But our long term models have actually thirty days per trade, okay. uh, which is similar to I would say the some of the larger CTAs. Yeah. yeah. So those models, and then the models that have fifteen days per trade, I would say between fifteen days per trade all the way to thirty days per trade. Those are the models that really contributed to the performance in two thousand fourteen. Sure. And do you think, and I don't know whether this is the right question to ask, but, but I'm going to try anyway. Um, looking at the conditions, do you think a lot of the positive things that, that we experienced and, and that you saw in your program, was it more due to the way the volatility behaved or was it more due to the fact that you had kind of the right trade length or the right holding period for for these markets, do you know the difference. Do you know the distinction I'm trying to make here? Uh, yeah, so I would say that the uh, the, the vol remained very low. Right. So. Um, for models that are trying to uh, be more selective and to provide alpha, I would say that wasn't particularly a good year. Mm. So I would say it would be a very good year for, for the most classical trend following models uh, that are always in the market. So whether you want to use, uh, you know, let's say the channel breakout models, sure. uh, anywhere between a 20 day channel breakout all the way to 100 day channel breakout. Momentum strategies, so uh, 12 months momentum, close of today relative to the close 12 months ago, mm -hmm. also did very well. And so did the moving average type of models. So these models are all 100% of the time in the market, and those are the ones that did the best. Okay. If you're looking for uh, better entry points, uh, you know, re reversal points within the trend, uh, uh, vol expansion, those things really had uh, not much opportunity in 2014. Sure. And... You know, we saw some big moves. We we talked about that, and 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 people. Uh, well, you know, some some markets moved uh, very significantly, and and certainly also in the in the commodity space. But when you look back at the year, uh, and and I know when you're systematic, it's not necessarily something that you uh, you look at, um, you know, very often. But reviewing the models, reviewing the performance. Is there anything that springs to mind from the point of view saying, actually, given the move in the market, I would have expected our models to do a little bit better? Meaning, you know, when you make money, it's easy and you don't necessarily uh, look at the, the negatives, but, but actually it's the negatives that we learn from. So is there anything there where you say, well, actually, that surprised me a little bit that we couldn't capture more of that? 
Um, definitely. I mean, we're always uh, looking uh, at our performance and uh, relative to how the markets behaved. And uh, in particular, I would say the way we typically filter, which means um, the, the, the patterns in volatility, the asymmetry of the markets in terms of, uh, uh, you know, the markets uh, trending slowly and then reversing fast. Mm -hmm. uh, those things didn't uh, work as well. Um, and we, you know, we're, we're, we're reviewed and we, you know, we're always evaluating how much exposure do we have uh, to each source of alpha. Each okay. source of alpha is also a, a source of potential missed returns. Sure. Uh, so, um, you know, you want, you want to be close to the index and you can go far away from the index. Being far away from the index was great for the last five years. Uh, but last year, it was really the index that did well. Right. Uh, so for the asymmetry in volatility, patterns in volatility, uh, and those things, I would say, didn't work. And so we reevaluate very specifically uh, every single way that we look at these factors and make sure that they, we don't have too much exposure to any single one of them. Mm. Uh, so we want to make sure that, uh, especially after five years of relative, uh, relatively low vol and uh, lower performance for the uh, for uh, CTA beta, sure. uh, we wanted to make sure that uh, th we have enough exposure to models that are going to be more frequently in the market and therefore less likely to miss big moves. Okay. Now, clearly, as you mentioned, it was a year of, of, of kind of in, in stages. I mean, there were uh, two or three difficult months last year, and then there was uh, a lot of uh, uh, great uh, months from a performance point of view. But it was really a year with some overriding themes. I mean, Russia, oil, Ukraine were things that people will remember the year for, and, and uh, often they associate them with maybe something negative when it comes to investing because a lot of people lost money during these uh, periods not necessarily the strategies that you employ of course but i do want to stretch the question into the new year 2015 because we have another theme now we can talk about and that's what the swiss central bank actually did uh, yesterday so it's very very fresh in people's mind talk to me a little bit about how these themes how you coped with the themes if you can put some words on that and and i think in particular i'd love to talk a little bit more and spend a little bit more time about the swiss franc and uh, from a risk management point of view what you know what does an event like that uh, really teach us about risk management and so on and so forth a <laughs> <laughs> uh, great question let me go at it, uh, one point at a time sure so first uh, overall i would say um last year um, kind of uh, reconfirms uh, the raison d'etre of CTAs, mm. which means CTAs exist in a way we're saying we don't care about fundamentals and that a price, price moves lead the fundamentals and not the other way around. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the, I mean, uh, 2014 was a great year uh, in terms of uh, seeing what happened in uh, crude oil, which was down around uh, over 55% for no reason at the time. Sure. And and here's a you know probably the largest commodity uh, in the world, yeah. highly liquid, highly visible that drops sixty percent without anybody without any news uh, driving that uh, that move. Yeah. So if you say I, I, the reason I'm a, I'm a CTA is because I believe fundamentals really don't explain much in terms of price action, and you can have massive moves which are not explained by fundamentals. Here is one perfect example of uh, such a situation. Yeah. I would say very few people see it coming. Sure. Um, 
the, the you know uh, the uh, the ruble devaluation and that sort of thing we were not uh, involved in uh, trading you know i would say we trade g10 type of currencies so we, uh, we didn't uh, we were not involved uh, in the ruble uh, so it didn't uh, really affect us now another aspect uh, obviously very very visible aspect was the continued uh, effort of central banks to lower the interest rates uh, on their bonds. Sure. So central banks, uh, um, of course, uh, lowered the short-term yields. Now they're going towards uh, lowering the yields of their their long bonds. Mm. And I would say they will, when they fail, they will uh, <laughs> continue buying riskier and riskier assets. Sure. To make sure uh, that um, everybody is incentivized to take the cash that they have and actually spend it. Mm. So effect- effectively, uh, they're trying to push everybody, they're trying to push the consumer to spend and saying, you know, don't keep, don't keep cash in the bank because it's going to lose its value. Everything is going up in price and you're going to miss it. Mm. So just go buy anything you can buy, whether it's real estate or uh, stocks or whatever. Just So that type of action continued. Now, um, the downside of that type of action is what just happened yesterday with the Swiss franc. Sure. Central banks, uh, no matter how big, no matter how powerful, one day have to release the pressure that they have on the market because it becomes very costly. Mm. And what you have is a complete reversal of a move uh, that, that took many years to, to sustain can reverse in, in a few minutes. Yeah. So what we saw in the Swiss franc yesterday, um, actually we did the calculation, it was about, um, about 150 standard deviations. So Euro-Swiss... It was a 150 standard deviation move in terms of daily volatility. Mm. Um, uh, 10 standard deviation is typically considered extreme, such as you know what happened in 2008. Sure. Yesterday was over 100 standard deviations. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it, it couldn't happen. I mean, in theory, what people would say is that should never happen, right? A 10 standard deviation should not happen. Yeah. Uh, 170, 180 is like you know you cannot even calculate the probability or the number of years that sure. it would take for that to happen it's billions of billions of billions of years yeah. it happened so the danger you know there's such a large you know the danger of central banks doing what they're doing with such force is that the potential for the moves such as yesterday to continue to happen in markets is higher and higher mm-hmm. and not only in i would say uh relatively small currencies such as the Swiss franc, but in very large markets such as, you know, U.S. treasuries, bonds, JGBs, and even stock markets. Sure. So those type of moves are going to happen because the markets that we're dealing with are artificially priced by central banks. They're not naturally priced by the market. So what does that teach you or what does that make you think, Nicole, when something like that, which never in theory happened, at least not in our lifetime, it does happen um, and not that you sound surprised uh, because I think that's just a general uh, systematic way of looking at things but surely we must learn something from it um, <laughs> and, and, and I know it's early days so obviously n- no one has really formulated uh, any, any, uh, any conclusions but I'm just curious and I'm sure the audience is curious in terms of your initial thoughts your initial gut feelings when it comes to this, um, how do we prepare or how do we ensure that we are prepared for the unthinkable? Um, I would say first, you have to be realistic in terms of uh, um, 
uh, everybody should be realistic in terms of their ability to fundamentally uh, have a real price estimate on the markets that we're dealing with. Mm. Uh, outside of one factor, which is a variable, which is central bank interventions, these markets could easily be down 50%. Mm. I mean, whether it's a US 30-year bond or equities uh, that are arbitraged from a yield perspective with the bonds, these markets can be down 50%. So mm. when people are relying on fundamentals to buy cheap stocks or that sort of thing, I would say today is a very dangerous time to do this. Mm. More than ever today, I would say you have to rely on technicals and in particular, uh, more short-term perspectives within the technical world so that if you have a chance to go in the direction of uh, dramatic price moves such as the ones that happened yesterday, you have a chance to do it. I would say the longer-term uh, approach to, to CTAs with very long-term models um, where you know, your long equities, your long fixed income, and you're relying on the correlation of equities and fixed income to, to, to have a low volatility portfolio, those days are over. The correlation between stocks and bonds can easily go positive and you can easily have very large moves. The only way you can protect yourself is to first understand the risk to the correlation, understand the, um, the risk to the volatility, that the current volatility is not representative of true risk, mm -hmm. and therefore uh, have models which in the short term can go in the direction of the price action. Mm -hmm. That's very, very important. There's a risk of getting whipsawed when you're trading short term, but in today's world, you cannot disregard this. Sure. I mean, I know you, one of your, some of your models look for expansion and volatility, and you certainly got that yesterday. But what about liquidity? I mean, can you actually trade uh, something that happened like that yesterday? Uh, Liquidity-wise... They were actually opportunities. The move was not an actual gap. So you could, over uh, a few minutes, uh, like almost 10 minutes, you could have actually traded in the Swiss, no problem. Mm -hmm. Except that in today's world, because most uh, asset management firms are used to low volatility, they are also um, more uh, reliant on uh, VWAP types uh, trading strategies. They're less reliant on stops. They see stops as you know uh, yeah, unnecessary into this yeah. world. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a cost. So that is uh, today. You have to realize that this is a, this is you know it's really a very dangerous position to take, and investors should recognize that as well. Remind, so, remind me, Nicole. Do you generally use stops for all your positions? Absolutely. Okay. Yes. Yeah, I mean, over 95% of our positions have stops in the market. So yesterday's move happened actually over like a 15-minute period. Okay. So it wasn't a, a, a real gap per se, and there was plenty of liquidity mm -hmm. uh, over those 15 minutes. Uh, not for, you know, you know, tens of billions of dollars uh, of, of trading, but, but, you know, for, you know, a billion here, a billion there, I would say that's not a problem at all. I know last time we were uh, talking uh, on the podcast, you were very open with some ideas and trading. And I just want to test that uh, openness <laughs> again <laughs> by, by just asking you, can you, are you, are you happy to share exactly what, what, what your trading did yesterday in terms of uh, exposure to Swiss francs or, or SMI if you trade that? Just, just how did the day start? What did you actually do, if anything? And, and where did you end up uh, in terms of positions and stuff like that? Well, what actually took place? Sure. Uh, let me uh, speak generally first and go yeah. to, uh, to more to our models which are more short-term in nature. Sure. Uh, the longer-term models 
that rely on moving averages, mm -hmm. uh, for example, wouldn't have caught the reversal in the trend yesterday. Sure. As a matter of fact, uh, the most uh, short term of the moving average type crossover strategies uh, would only start flipping today and tomorrow, yeah. today and Monday, basically. Yeah. So uh, we have very small exposure to long-term models such as those. Mm -hmm. And th those models effectively didn't even trade yesterday. Yeah, true. So they were short coming into it and they're still short. Correct. The Swiss franc. So, yeah. so they would trade the next day market on open or the next day market on close uh, or uh, the same day market on close, but very rare. I would sure. say that uh, it's a slow process and yesterday's move wouldn't have triggered any trading. Yeah. Now, as you go more short term and there you're approaching strategies which are more similar to, to what we do, uh, then you have stops in the market which are actually very close. Those stops for our strategies are uh, you know, at a certain multiple of volatility away from the price sure. and those positions so i would say 60 70 80 percent of our position in the in the swiss franc uh, got stopped out in the first two three minutes wow so only in the you know uh, maybe you know at 20 percent 10 to 20 percent of the move only had started happening sure. and we were already fully out of our short-term positions on the swiss franc now the benefit um, of this type of trading is that <clears throat> you're much more positively skewed. You're benefiting from the large moves, from the surprises. Mm. By yesterday, we by chance we did not have any entry positions to go in the direction of the move. We okay. only had exits from our short-term positions. Uh, but um, so we lost a little bit on our long-term positions. We lost very very little on our short-term positions. Mm. Uh, but by, by chance, for a lot of CTAs, I would say. Uh, the euro moves on its own as well. It can, uh, the downtrend in the euro continues, and and that generated some positive returns yesterday. Sure. The up move in fixed income as well. Yeah. So that dampened the magnitude of the losses uh, in the Swiss franc sure. for for a day such as yesterday. Sure. Yeah, no, it's very interesting. I appreciate that. That's always uh, good to hear from from the battleground exactly yeah. what uh, what took place. Now, just looking back at the. 2014 as a, as a whole the year mm -hmm. what what was the highlights uh for you you know let alone the performance was good we we, we you know that 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 is uh, um uh, you know t we take that for granted of course um but what was the highlight in general for for a year like 2014 <clears throat> i would say overall um the as the yields on or the returns on credit type strategies, uh, on uh, equity long short strategies, uh, as those returns kind of uh, um, seem to be squeezed out of the market, and CTAs uh, had a better year, I would say that there's real interest uh, from the fund of fund community, from uh, many different uh, asset management uh, angles back to uh, looking at CTAs in, in a realistic way mm -hmm. as part of a portfolio. So where I would say from 2009 to 2013 to end of 2013, the allocations uh, probably steadily decreased. Mm -hmm. um, I would say 2014 was a year where people um, or started reallocating mm -hmm. or were, were looking in a, in, a, in a very serious manner uh, to increase their reallocation. So everybody's position themselves that with the type of moves that you know even what we saw yesterday uh, the technical approach is critical in a portfolio at this point in time sure. uh, it's a very cheap 
uh, hedge for these type of moves and people are moving towards that. I thought that was for us that's uh, uh, very encouraging. Uh, it's always good to see that the industry is doing uh, well overall. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Were there any sort of big changes on your side? I mean, personnel-wise, uh, some interesting research findings in general or, or any sort of other things that uh, happened over the year? Um, for us, it was a significant year because we've uh, we've started two uh, hedge strategies. Okay. One is an equity hedge strategy, and one is a fixed income hedge strategy. Uh, and last year, uh, 2014, was the f was the first full year for both of those strategies. Mm -hmm. Uh, and uh, relative to the benchmarks, which is in uh, the U.S. 10-year, a short U.S. 10-year bond position, um, we outperformed by 8% uh, in our, our fixed income hedge. Sure. And on the equity hedge, um, we outperformed by about 15% a short S&P position. Okay. So for us, it was uh, interesting, although those strategies rely on the same, met same methodology that we use in the original program, um, those strategies had uh, you know, substantial outperformance versus the benchmarks. So, and the interest in those strategies is uh, you know, increasing uh, you know, at a rapid rate. Sure. When you do those hedged products, do you only trade within the markets that you're trying to be a hedge against or do you need to trade other types of markets in order to provide uh, you know a meaningful hedge uh, no the, the the point of those strategies is that um, you know if you want to generate negative beta to the S&P um, you're it is much more interesting to find that negative beta to the S&P in all other markets, whether you can be short silver, whether you can be short crude oil, you can be short copper, uh, anywhere you can find negative beta to this S&P, you should get it even when the S&P is going up. So if you're only looking to short uh, equity markets, then when they're going up, you basically have no hedging. Sure. Uh, so you're missing the reversal. The point of such strategies is... Well, the S&P was going up, but crude oil was going down, so was copper, and both those are correlated to the S&P and, for example, give you very good returns with negative beta to the S&P. Mm, yeah. So, uh, uh, much more valuable than just uh, the classical timing on equity indices, yes. short flat. Sure, sure. Now, I've been reading a few um, uh, sort of 2015 outlooks from prominent people, big banks, um, and uh, and also Mohammed Alarian, uh, I noticed, was uh, on CNBC a couple of weeks ago, and he said something like that, uh, something along these lines, that if I can sum up the world in one word, it would be divergence. Um, now, to me, that's very significant. Uh, clearly, if he's right, it's 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 incredible significance. But tell me, for a short-term strategy like yours. How do you take that? Uh, I mean, is it also something that you wish for? Um, <clears throat> a divergence typically comes with volatility, and therefore, for us, uh, we expect that to be, you know, some value added uh, in terms of returns. Mm -hmm. um, anything, the mindset for the last five years has been in a straight line. Uh, equities going up with very minimal, minimal corrections, fixed income going up with uh, very minimal corrections. Uh, I would say everything else flat. Um, the beginning of this type of volatility, although it's still very minimal in nature, has the potential to completely uh, throw the order into the air and uh, create a new type of uh, new equilibriums 
in all asset prices. So this divergence that, we're, uh, that he's talking about, it's something that for us we see as a potential uh, major uh, trends mm. in all asset classes. Mm. So yes, we would say that's a very that's uh, positive for us. Sure. Now, 2014 was a uh, very good year for the systematic industry or trading strategies in general, um, and certainly the best since we've seen uh, since 2008. Now, I know that 2014 was not a year where you had big disasters uh, in terms of price falls in equities and fixed income. So it wasn't necessarily uh, one of those years where CTAs were looked upon as the the savior of a portfolio, uh, but it was certainly a very strong uh, component of a portfolio. However, you mentioned before that you saw uh, or you're seeing now some more interest in the strategies and in the space in general. Um, If we start seeing a big inflow of uh, capital back into these strategies, and particularly if people are worried that divergence uh, is coming and and we need some of those uh, strategies that are long divergence, um, how do we ensure and, and, and how should investors ensure that they don't end up in the same situation as we saw in 2011, 2012, where they were basically redeeming at the wrong and worst possible time because they either didn't understand what they bought, they got bored with their investments. And I know you performed differently than many other people during that period of time. So I take that. So maybe it's a general conversation or question that I'm asking you, but it's an important one because it's so destabilizing for everyone when you see these massive flows in and out uh, of, of a relatively small industry still. What's your best advice both from a, a, a to investors but also from a manager point of view in order to avoid the zigzag in in AUM um, well uh, in the last five years I would say the the degree of transparency in the industry has changed tremendously where uh, investors have today available to them uh, many fully transparent indices uh, so the concept of the black box uh, you know that made the huge returns in 2008 uh, today does not have to be uh, followed in order to be exposed to the CTA space so investors uh, should uh, spend enough resources uh, evaluate the transparent models which are available and uh, realize that there's no big mystery behind CTAs and by doing so once they're comfortable with the models and they understand that they can actually replicate those models themselves uh, would be more likely to be able to with to withstand the typical volatility of a CTA portfolio and therefore uh, not come in at the exactly wrong time based on returns and also exit at the exactly wrong time based on returns. So, so education and a certain degree of uh, investment into understanding what is today easily available, easily available. Yeah, no, I... I take that on board, but I do want to push back a little bit here, uh, Nicole, uh, or maybe I just misunderstood you here, because one of the dangers that I see, and that is, and and it's, you know, um, I think it's good that there are transparent benchmarks, that's fine. Um, But I I do caution a little bit about people thinking that it's easy and people thinking that, okay, if I just follow these models, I'm going to make money, because a lot of what people pay for, I think, is actually for the managers to stick with the models during the difficult times, because even the benchmarks, as we know, they're going to have their difficulties, they're going to have their drawdowns. And so I think if institutional investors think that they can just do this themselves, I think that that's dangerous because it's the 
It's the discipline. It's the fact that we don't worry about being down 20% like we were or many people were by midsummer 2014. Mm-hmm. You know, am I on the right track here? In, uh... Uh, th- that is true. But the only way to overcome that is through education. Um, sure, sure. Uh, they shouldn't do it themselves, but the, the education is very helpful in, able, in being able to withstand the volatility, sure. uh, the drawdowns and the runs of CTAs. So uh, I would say that... Uh, but how do you teach someone? How do you... And, and this is, this is a great point. I appreciate that. How do you teach someone through education uh, that to control their emotions and to stick with the discipline? Uh, how do we teach that? Because I think that's important. Both actually, whether they do that themselves or whether they invest with a manager, they still have to go through the same drawdown. <laughs> so how do we teach them that? <laughs> uh, well... Uh... <laughs> Because I think that's, that's what we've been trying to do for the last 20, 20, 30 years. You know, exactly. That's a trick question, right? Yeah. Uh, that's, it's not so easy. The emotional aspect of uh, the CTA space is not so easy to teach. Yeah. But at least if there's an understanding of the models, uh, I would say that uh, um, we're a- you know investors are able to know that what they're getting is a constant process sure. rather than a process where they're getting only the losses and not the gains. So when you know that the model is stable, it's not being changed by the manager based on, based on reactions to market returns, uh, th- that's already a major uh, source of comfort where at least now you know what you're getting. Where I would say part of the, uh, the fear and investors mistiming their uh, CTA investments are the fact that they were not sure uh, that they knew what the process was. Mm. So it's a first step. I'm not saying yeah. that once you have that, yeah. you're able to withstand the returns and the, and the volatility, but it's a very big step. Sure. No, and I, think, and I think that's a great point, actually. That's a great point. If we can somehow really teach them and give them transparency into the process, that really should help them you know, regardless, really. And I think that is a great point, Nicole. I appreciate that. Now, I've only got one question left, uh, which is always one of those odd ones. So I'll, I'll leave that for a few seconds. But I do want to give you a chance to bring up anything that you want people to be thinking about going into 2015, something you want to bring up about your own firm, new plans, new something. Is there anything you think we should just touch upon before we wrap up? Um, I'll uh, bring up two, uh, one quick point, and then uh, mention kind of like my the, the thing to focus on for 2015. Okay. So, so first, I would say that uh, we've actually done uh, you know a substantial testing on single stock strategies, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, we will start trading those for a proprietary account, um, you know, within the next month. So okay. we're very excited about that. Yeah. Now, when it comes to 2015, I would say the way I'm thinking of it is that uh, every assumption should be should be questioned. Mm-hmm. So um, I will say that when it comes to risk, mind your own business. I would say that's the most important sentence mm-hmm. that I am keeping in my own mind as it comes to making decisions in 2015. I don't want to assume the luxury or the false comfort of saying all CTAs are doing this, therefore it must be safe. Sure. Every single market position, every assumption has to be questioned. Mm. And that's the approach that I'm taking into 2015. Fantastic. Now, final question, Nicole. We're going into a new year. If there's something, if you had a magic wand and you could wish for something for the new year, what would that be? Um, You know, uh, I stay away from... uh, 
New Year resolutions or <laughs> uh, wishing things for myself. In the American Indian culture, uh, there's actually, uh, when you tell somebody, uh, may you get what you're wishing, sure. that's, that's actually a curse. Right. <laughs> People don't know what's good for them. So I'm, uh, I would say I'm uh, going along uh, with the flow, accepting what comes and uh, learning to adapt uh, in the most realistic way to what's offered. Sure. I think that's uh, Now, uh, you know, <laughs> that's my approach to uh, getting what I, what's what I want. Sure. No, I think that's perfectly nice and, uh, yeah. you know, very good indeed. Now, uh, unfortunately, it is a short episode today, so so we are running out of time. But, of course, for those who want to hear much more from you, um, you know, they can certainly go and listen to our previous conversation on Top Traders Unplugged. Um, but I do want to thank you for uh, being on the podcast today and sharing your insights. And I also want to congratulate you uh, on another solid year uh, as well. And, of course, I do want to wish you and your firm all the best for 2015. And I look forward to catching up with you later in the year. Uh, thank you, Niels. Uh, thank you for your effort over the year. You've uh, done some uh, amazing interviews that I've listened to. They've been very helpful, a lot, very informative. Uh, and I look forward to continuing to follow up on your work. Great stuff. Thank you so much. Take care. Thank you. All the best. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Top Traders Unplugged. If you feel you learned something of value from today's episode, the best way to stay updated is to go on over to iTunes and subscribe to the show so that you'll be sure to get all the new episodes as they're released. We have some amazing guests lined up for you. And to ensure our show continues to grow, please leave us an honest rating and review in iTunes. It only takes a minute and it's the best way to show us you love the podcast. We'll see you next time on Top Traders Unplugged.